like they they advertise one match by crashing a car into one of the wrestlers. Not a total victory of Russia, which now we're seeing. This he goes on. Gigantic bag of flaccid dicks. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Which, when you open them up, you find out that they're all cockroaches inside. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I don't know if anybody else is ever going to laugh this hard at anything we Probably. say. Uh, we can actually both look out my window right now and see some very pretty yellow flowers that I'm going to be eradicating. History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock, a uh, world history teacher at the seventh grade level. I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher at a high school and also a soon-to-be world history teacher again. I'm redesigning my entire curriculum because things have changed in the last 15 years since I taught yeah. it last. Wow. I think that's I last been, taught it... has been a while away. I, uh, you know what? I taught it 11 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So things have changed. Uh, okay. And, and so I have to like really update the creeping rise of fascism section from the 1930s because that's the only yeah. time it ever happened. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Thank ever. goodness we learned. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank goodness that's not happening anywhere. Yeah. All over the world. Yeah. At once. Traumatically. Yeah. Yeah. And so on a more positive note, demonic possession. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, in our last episode, yeah, we left off talking about the exorcist and uh, Rosemary's Baby and the interplay between the two. Yeah. And what they both had in common was that a woman was the vessel for demonic possession, yes. which was a normal, normal thing uh, in these kinds of movies. Uh, in 1979... Another yeah. horror movie comes out. Another possession movie comes out. Uh, and it's uh, called Amityville Horror. Oh, yeah. Now, this only grossed $108 million, which I say only, uh, that's $423 million in today's money. Sweet baby Jesus. Yes. Uh, okay. Fun fact, trust in the government was down to 28%. In 79. Yeah. It's harder. It, yeah, it kept dropping. Because he was the only one to ever say this, the, the state of our union is weak. Oh. We don't like hearing that shit. Well, but yeah. But also, I, again, and I pointed this out last time, um, and I think it's true. Um, after the bloody nose of Nixon Ford. Yeah. The Republicans, how to put grew way more partisanly petulant when a Democrat was in office. Okay. And because there, it seemed to me, and again, this might be me uh, theorizing. Yeah. But Carter was way more trustworthy than Nixon. The Carter administration was way more trustworthy than Nixon's administration. Um, the House of Representatives and the Senate were cooperating with Carter in a number of ways, and in plenty of ways they weren't, as it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but you clearly have a demonstrably more trustworthy administration there. Here's 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 what I'm gonna say. Sure. And and this is this is my theory again, mm -hmm. being the uh, you know, raised in a Reaganite household yes. uh, at the table here. Um Reagan who had run from, for president twice by this point. Yeah, or was was gearing up was for a second gearing run. Gearing up gearing up for a second run. Um I think when we're talking about 
polls talking about level of trust in the government. Mm-hmm. I think what you would hear from Reaganites mm-hmm. about how they felt about the Carter administration mm-hmm. wasn't, I don't trust this guy. This guy is shifty or dishonest. Right. It was, I don't trust this guy because I don't think this guy is competent to make the hard decisions. I think this guy is a fruit loop. I think mm-hmm. this guy is, you know, because Carter was in a great many ways. He was a huge departure yeah. on, on, a, on a whole. He like, ran on that. He ran on what a huge departure he was yeah. from, from Nixon. Yeah. Um, and he, he was this very intensely moral, very intensely. Everything was viewed through his very, I'm going to say black and white moral mm-hmm. compass. Yeah. He was and, also one of the smartest presidents we'd had. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. yeah. I, and, and, and he, he was, he was Dudley Do-Right of the Mounties. Yes, he was. And I think there was a sense amongst Reaganites, mm-hmm. the people who would, who would, who would be most, that's Carter Flaco, you right. know, kind of, kind of people who would express that opinion is his uh, his his virtue signaling mm-hmm. to presentize this conversation sure, a bit sure. was um, was was not something they they trusted. Not that they didn't think it was genuine, but that this isn't this isn't the metric we should be using for making these decisions. You know the 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 kind of draconian things he did in regard to federal buildings. And climate controls in federal buildings mm-hmm. under under his administration yeah. were, you know, everything is going to be set at this temperature that's nobody is comfortable, nobody is happy, but it's going to save energy and mm-hmm. we're in an oil crisis and by God, this is what we got to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's... Because we there's didn't have clear, the tech for that. There's a clear mm-hmm. moral imperative. Yes. But nobody liked it. I would, and, I'm, I'm going to, and it was like we were yeah. being forced as a nation to eat our Wheaties. Yes. And, 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 and so there was this kind of that, that social justice warrior, right? Jackass, hippie right. dip, you know, kind of emotional reaction mm-hmm. from, from those folks. And I think, With, I think when you talk about trust declining, sure. When you talk about the partisanship involved in yeah. that, I think that's what we're, what we're talking about. I'm going to either push back or piggyback on that, depending on uh, the the point of view here. Um, Yes, and I think... Good improv technique. Thank you. I think that it was not genuine. I think those are talking points that were brought up by people who decided to double down instead of apologize for their fuckery. Okay, at the highest levels of the party? Yep. I can see that. They seized power under Nixon. Yeah. They decided to rig the game to make sure that they stayed in power under Nixon. Yeah. And then they lost anyway. Yeah. And they couldn't handle losing, so they were doubling down, and they were kind of finding a way to seize power again. And to them, I think it was an existential... They're seizing power. Yeah, and I'm and I'm gonna point out here sure. that at this time period we're talking about very young Rumsfeld, yep. talking about very young, uh, compared to very young Cheney, mm-hmm. um, you know, before he actually received the vampire's kiss. 
Uh, but he was working toward it as a Renfield yep. uh, by this point. Um, and and at the top of the party, mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with you. Yep. At the ground level, mm-hmm. it 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 really was. I think it was more tribal. Honestly, I I still don't think. I think it was people with. It was almost like they had a solution that they found to a problem they didn't know they had so they were told that he's incompetent they were told that he's weak and they're like yeah that's why i don't like him instead of owning to the fact that i picked this tribe and i'm okay with them cheating like a motherfucker six years ago i would here's the deal i I would i would have to have a very complicated conversation with Mm -hmm. members of my family (laughs) <laughs> to to get yeah. to the bottom of how much of it is what what you're saying and how much of it is is what I what I perceived and yeah. what I I'm going to say feel mm-hmm. in a very non-republican squishy feely liberal you know, even though they run way. entirely on fear now yeah well so yeah, yeah. But, and yeah. I would point out that that is the antecedent to what we see now. Well, yeah. yeah. No, it, I, I'm, it's, yeah. I'm certainly not going to argue with that right. at all. I'm just saying it um, rhymes that far back. Yeah, and and yeah. and yeah, the 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 ground the 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 groundwork was initially laid for mm-hmm. what we're seeing right now way back then. Yeah, that is, you know, I mean, that's that's Bush two, mm-hmm. all the way back then because again, Cheney, Rumsfeld, yeah. and and all well, those guys and, that and cabal and and the the moral version of the bush which again i i will quibble on that as well uh but the more moral yeah. one lost in the primaries to ronald reagan to and ronald then reagan. was co-opted by yeah, ronald well, reagan yeah. um and then he happily kissed the ring uh but the, he was a more moral individual than was ronald reagan yeah, he was a more moral individual than were all those guys advising Ford. He yeah. he was, and he and lost. Yeah, and that is very telling to me that that's the direction that party was because victory mattered more than than any level of morality. And by the way, I will as much as I agree that he is the more moral of the Bushes, he's a dirty motherfucker. Yeah, so. Anyway, so Amityville so, Horror yeah. made $423 million in today's money, $108 yeah. million back then. Um, now, uh, popularity, not popularity, trust in the government uh, had been falling steadily from the end of Johnson. Rightly yeah. so. Dude was lying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, through Nixon and Ford. And this was lower still than yeah. under Watergate. And it's not even like it's a trailing indicator. This is six years later. So, yeah, I'm saying it's partisan. Uh, it hits its nadir under Carter. Yeah. Until Obama, which is another reason why I'm saying this is a wholly partisan thing when yeah. it happens to these guys. Uh, Carter got painted up as a wimp pretty quickly, which is hmm. easy to do when a guy gets attacked by a swamp rabbit and can't yeah. fight it off. Yeah. Uh, Republicans paint him as a wimp. Several Democrats didn't like him, didn't like that he'd beaten them. Ted well. Kennedy... Made sure we didn't have health care because of this. Yeah. Uh, Some of this had to do with a lot of chickens coming home to roost at the same time for the Republican Party and for the Democrat Party as well. In terms of foreign relations, Mm -hmm. for instance, uh, under Carter, we see the Shah get deposed. 
Yeah. Has nothing to do with Carter, to be perfectly honest. No. But he's left holding the bag. Yeah. Um, he uh, gets credit, rightly so, for not launching one missile, one bomb, or one bullet during his presidency. But it ain't for lack of trying. He tried to rescue those guys in Iran, the hostages in Iran. And oh, and the and windstorm, the, and the... a sandstorm stopped it. Yeah, well, not Killed. only stopped it, yeah. but but the mission turned into a complete Donnybrook. Yeah, and, uh, and and that is really easy to pin on Carter. Look at that, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, Lord knows my father did. Yeah. I'll tell you what. So, here in this movie, it's yeah. not a young woman being inhabited by a demon or some other malevolence. Mm-hmm. Nope, it's a house. Now. Following these possession movies, mm-hmm. it is taken from a book that was written about two years earlier. All, so far, the three that I've talked about are yeah. taken from books that are written shortly before. Yeah. Um, but it's a, supposed to be a true story. I never believe, based on a true story, has anything other than like, oh yeah, we read this book that people claimed yeah. it was true. So I never put any stock in that at all. But uh, allegedly, it was a family who bought a house where folks were murdered. And the house just starts fucking with these people. Yeah. Um, there's flies, despite it being in winter. There's an urge to go to the ba- boathouse around the time that the murders were supposed to have happened. Uh, yeah. There's there's a room that scares the dog. Uh, back to what you had said in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, the kids have weird interactions with imaginary beings. On and on and on. Like, oh it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a creepy yeah. ass house. Yeah. The house has a pit of back, black slime. Uh, it possesses the dad for a little bit, but everyone gets away. Yeah. It's not too different, now that I say it out loud, from The Shining. I mean, that was a hotel. But it's uh, the malevolence well, it's similar, is the place. The malevolence, malevolence is inhabiting the place. Mm-hmm. I, I I, don't know. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm starting to quibble a little bit in my head about whether we're still talking about possession or if we're talking about haunted house movies. Well, I would say that this is possession because the dad does get possessed. Okay, yeah, you're right. And... Okay. And here's the fun part. Uh, this book was written in 1977. Yeah. Do you, do you know what was on a steep decline or a steep rise in 77 and by 79 was even steeper and it would peak in 81? Divorce? No. What? Interest rates for housing. Uh, the house is the malevolence. Okay. All right. Uh, so this time it's a house. It's not a little girl. Okay. It's not a young woman. It is the symbol of American prosperity. You can't trust anything in the 1970s. No, no, nothing. It's Nobody. a house. You know, when inflation rates yeah. were treacherous for reasons that people didn't understand. Yeah. You could see why this movie made so much money. Yes. Here's Roger Ebert's review. He didn't like it. <laughs> Bad guys are great. There's nothing quite like a malevolent presence that implacably wishes evil on everyone in town. A guy with a sneer and a mustache and an upset stomach. A guy totally unlike the evil entity in the Amityville horror. Is the story based on fact? I have no way of knowing. I've met George Lutz. That's who it's supposed to be based on. Yeah. I had a couple of beers with him in the Los Angeles airport. I totally believe that because Robert Ebert was a fucking party animal. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Uh, And he seemed to be likable and totally believable person. He told me soberly and earnestly of the terrible things that happened to him and his family in that haunted house on Ocean Boulevard in Long Island. Out there where people move in every expectation of learning Craig Claiborne's New York Times cookbook by heart. Was he telling the truth? Did green slime really squirt from the keyholes? Did a red-eyed pig really glare through, through, through the windows? Did a ghostly marching band really parade through the living room? Maybe so. We've all made bad real estate investments. 
The problem with these folks is that they've moved to Long Island. <laughs> Such a <laughs> Chicagoan. There are lots of neighborhoods in the Chicago area which they would have made a good investment on. But am I growing facetious? Not really. In order to be a horror movie, a horror movie needs a real horror. The creature in Alien was truly gruesome. The case of possession in The Exorcist was profoundly frightening. The problem with the Amityville horror is that, in a very real sense, there's nothing there. We watch for two hours of people being frightened and dismayed, and we ask ourselves, what for? If it's real, let it have happened to them. Too bad, Lutzes. And if it's made up, make it more entertaining. If they can't make up their minds, why should we? All right. He didn't like the movie at all. No. I, I want to I wanna point out yep. that um, the Amityville horror... Mm-hmm. Uh, is the beginning of the career of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who... Uh, <laughs> Tell me that's so, not Elizabeth Warren's mom. No, no, okay. no, no. Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren mm-hmm. were uh, uh, paranormal investigators. Oh. Uh, devout Catholics. Like you do. Like you do. Um, and uh, the Annabelle mm-hmm. doll mm-hmm. is... is and an artifact of, of a possession that they supposedly oh, were involved in. Okay. Uh, uh, Lorraine Warren has a long-running verbal feud with the amazing Randy. Oh, that's right. That's where I heard that name. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and the Amityville Horror, mm-hmm. the the stories of the Amityville Horror uh, have essentially been, been proven to be malarkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the writers involved in in you, the novel. You don't have to tell me that a house no, being yeah, possessed no, no. by demons no, is but, malarkey. But 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 what I'm but, <laughs> but what I but what I'm saying is yeah. the, the based on a true story part of it yeah, is is I mean the, one one of the writers involved. And I'm trying to remember who it was. Basically came out and said, oh you no, know, I mean there there was this horrible murder that happened, but the story and of, then we go left. The, yeah, and then yeah. and then we go yep. completely bat nuts crazy with this mm-hmm. with this story and you know ed and lorraine warren were according to this writer very heavily involved in the crafting of that particular tale mm. and then from there they went on to yeah. you know, investigate other events and whatever right. and and so yeah um, okay it's it's worth noting that this is this is the beginning of ed and lorraine warren's you know career as you know ghost, ghost slash demon busters in air quotes right um and yeah okay so i just wanted to throw that in yeah there. yeah uh so i i don't think he liked it no clearly <laughs> buried in his clear i wrote this to get a paycheck review though yeah um yeah. is is the connection to the malevolence of the movie now being about a structure, a shelter, and not about a single personality. He laments it, yeah. but you see this shift. Yeah. The government about was... About an investment. Yeah. yeah. The, the government was no longer to be trusted. Interest rates, the economy, capitalism itself were all malevolent. All okay. these systems upon which we used to be... Structures and institutions. Okay. Are malevolent, and we're fairly stuck with them. Okay. By the late 1980s, the number of Leave the Rat Race books was overwhelming, by the way. Okay. A lot of people. And it's kind of the last gasp of the baby boomers. Yeah. Like hippies who were like, shit, I ended up in the rat, you know, and then like a lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. <laughs> <laughs> crystals, plural? 
or yeah. crystal? No, singular? yeah, crystals plural. Okay. Crystal is their kids. Okay. On those farms. Okay. Uh, finding a way to make money. Yeah. Uh, and really clean the baseboards with their toothbrushes. Yeah. So then, here's an interesting thing. And, and I find this intensely ironic. Jimmy Carter is one of the more moral men we've ever had as president. I don't agree with a in, lot of his morality. Modern, in the modern era. Yeah. Yeah. He really was. And you see trust in him plummeting. Or trust yeah. in the government under him plummeting. plummeting. One of the least trustworthy presidents we've ever had follows him. Yeah. As so often happens, by the way. Yeah. We have a thoroughly decent human being followed by a, a thoroughly magnetic personality shit heel. Um Venal. Yes, a venal cur. Yeah. Well, so, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> trust in the presidency, trust in the government starts to go up, despite the fact that he's a lying sack of shit. There was all kinds of hinky shit going on under Reagan. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, know, we know now. Yeah. But by mid-1986, trust in the government crosses back over the 50% mark. Okay. Despite Iran-Contra being highly public... To the point where when I was in sports camp as an eight-year-old, we were discussing Iran-Contra while playing kickball. You you ran with a very... Odd crowd. Odd I crowd. Agree. I agree. At that age. So there's okay. all sorts of other shit going on under Reagan as well. Mm -hmm. But the president was a presidential-looking fellow. He put on a good face. He was from Hollywood. He was, he was yeah. a consummate showman. Yep. And all of his policy statements, mm -hmm. all of his, everything he did was clothed in one of two capes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes both simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Either uh, we are the, the bastion of... We're the city on the hill. Well, well. Hold on. Okay. I'm, I'm, that's that's the sunny optimism side. Okay. I'm, I'm talking okay. about we are we are the bastion of free market capitalism, freedom of thought, freedom of individual right. expression. We are you know, and and American exceptionalism on on the one hand, and then shining city on a hill, optimism. It's morning in America. Right. I mean, it was it was a brilliantly crafted. Oh yeah. Message. Mm -hmm. And and here's the thing, everything you're saying about the the you know completely shady crap going mm -hmm. on under under the Reagan administration is totally correct. Yes. And I'm not going to take anything away from what you're saying about shady crap going on under Reagan because yeah. those are matters of fact. It, intellectual honesty prevents me from being able to say that. But what I will say is, I really wish mm -hmm. that 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 we as a nation could still hold on to maybe not the exceptionalism part, but certainly the we we want to build the shining city on the hill. We want to be we want to be the better nation. We want mm -hmm. to be, you know, it's it's you know, things are gonna get better if we put our, our shoulders to the wheel. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The message was amazing. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Sorkin is a really good writer, and that thing that he had Jeff Daniels do for three minutes uh, at the beginning of Newsroom yeah. is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Is we, we, <laughs> this is why Make America Great Again is such an easy thing to tap into. Yeah. We have this mythological idea of our greatness tied into um, 
our potential. Yeah. Without ever having actually realized it. Yeah. Honestly, because again, for the dominant culture, not even all of them got a seat at the table. No. But you know that. But damn it, we could. Yeah. You know, I mean, and Bernie was tapping into that too. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, AOC I mean, is tapping Obama. into that now. Yeah, Obama you know, tapped in. And, we are and, the, and, the and the thing is, and the thing generation is, we we're waiting for. Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing is that that sense of optimism, that sense mm-hmm. of you know, we we need to we need to all of us get together and work on doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, the the problem I, I got I got sidetracked verbally from what sure. I was trying to say. The problem with make America great again mm-hmm. is. It is rooted in fear of decline. Right. There is an inherent statement that we were great, we are not great now. Right. And it begs the question, Mm -hmm. when were we? Right. Begs the questions, when were we? (laughs) And why aren't we now? Right. Even before we then beg the question of, okay, how are you going to do that smart guy? Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, Geek Nation, this is Ed. And Damien. Hey, hey. what you got there? Uh, I got a copy of uh, The Stolen uh, by my good friend Bishop O'Connell. He is a Norwegian wedding cake creator? No, he is not. Oh. He is a uh, an urban fantasy writer, a member of the Science Fiction Writers of America. Oh, wow. So yeah. that's that looks like it says one of three. Uh, yes. Well, it's uh, the first volume of an American fairy tale. The other two volumes are uh, The Forgotten and The Returned. Nice. What's... Yeah. Uh, the, it's a fairy tale. Does that mean there's a lot of Celtic and Irish folklore in there? A very great deal, yes. Uh, the first Fantastic. novel actually involves the characters traveling to Tiranog. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, I remember that from Titanic. There you <laughs> Good day, sir. <laughs> and with that, back to the show. Which, you know, we, we still haven't really gotten an answer. Um, but, you know, damn it. It, he's gonna do it if if you know everybody else would just shut up and let him become dictator for life. Yeah. Um, you know he'd fix all our problems, like every demagogue ever has told anybody throughout history, which is why all of this is so frustrating for both of us to be watching in real time. Yeah. But you know there there is a fundamental difference between mm-hmm. MAGA mm-hmm. and Morning in America, and they're you know and and they're both. They're both Republican slogans. Yeah, but but the the differences between them couldn't be more stark. And and I think the reason for the uptick in in trust in the government is because mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. that sunny yeah. optimist. You know, I mean, like the man was a poly, Reagan. I'm talking yeah. about was a Pollyanna. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a prior episode, the guy the guy turned the Cold War into a joke. Right. You know. Yeah. Bombing begin, you know, I've outlawed the Soviet Union, bombing begins in 15 minutes. Right. Which, you know, ha, ha, is ha. my favorite Cold War anecdote ever. Yeah. But but the underlying the underlying takeaway is the dude made the dude was making a joke about that. Right. Like like even even our existential dread mm-hmm. was you know, capable of being made funny. Yeah. You know, and 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 while there's all kinds of problems with that, mm-hmm. I think for, for everybody in the country who uh-huh. had been through the ringer. For the dominant culture. For, well, for the dominant culture. For the folks who showed up and, and voted for him. Mm-hmm. 
uh, having having gone through the ringer like they had yeah. for the last decade plus, mm-hmm. having having that to look in the guy, mirror, yeah, <laughs> having that guy, yeah, as the standard bearer for the country was something because you know you're talking about partisanship and mm-hmm. and what's interesting and we can talk about at some point when we have time in another episode we can talk about why this partisanship isn't something that democrats do to the same extent republicans do talk about well i don't trust that mfr right you know um just just because he's wearing the wrong color jersey right i you know um we are i think beginning to see that Mm -hmm. as as a reaction to that being a thing but for the longest time sure like reagan wouldn't have been able to get the numbers that he got right if it weren't for Democrats also being, you know, yeah, I mean, he on, he on, damn on near the swept page. the country. I mean, yeah. he got forty nine out of fifty states. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. And so, uh, and and second you know, time there around. were yeah, and there were Reagan Democrats. Yes, there were lots of them. So, so you know, and but, I mean, we can always trust the guy who was in bedtime for Bonzo. Well, yeah, I mean, how could you? Right. It's it's a monkey movie for God's sake. There you go. I mean, technically chimp movie, but yeah. monkey. So the next monkey is an inherently funnier word. <laughs> so. True. The next time that trust begins to plummet, by the way, yeah, it starts to drop off is eighty seven when the stock market begins to crash. Oh yeah. Uh, then it never really recovered. It dipped mm. quite a bit under Bush one, and then for partisan reasons, stayed really low in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, for similarly partisan reasons, uh, and for nine eleven, it came back up in the early two thousands. And then the wars dragged on. It goes back down, and just before Obama, it takes another dip because the economy collapsed Completely on itself. Completely tanked, yeah. Uh, for the the worst reasons, and under yeah. Obama, again, partisanship kept it depressed despite the economic upturn and the fix. Yeah, and it's been pretty dang low ever since. Uh, so in the eighties, there's a few sequels. Um, yeah, to well, Amityville Horror. There's Amity, there's, there's also several Amityville movies. There's yeah. there's several. Uh, there's Poltergeist, uh, which is basically a bigger vu- budget version of Amityville Horror. Yeah. I would say is not a possession movie because nobody gets possessed. Nobody gets possessed in it. But now the but, structure is moving more toward haunted houses. Yeah, there's sequels galore to that one as well. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger tries his hand in the devil possession movie genre uh, oh, in oh, 1999. Oh. Oh, oh. End of days. I Yeah, I saw that in the theater. Wow. I, saw, I actually I rented saw it. that one in the theater. There, And the thing is, uh-huh. I was able to handle that one mm-hmm. because more than being a horror film, mm-hmm. it was a Schwarzenegger movie. Yep, that's true. And and so if there's if, if it's if it's tinged with horror yep. trappings, yeah, yeah. I can hack it. Sure. You know, but that but it was basically Yeah. A cop action movie. It was. And it cost $100 million to make. Yeah. Uh, but it only made $66 million domestically. Worldwide, it, it yeah, made $211 million. It was, it was one of those movies that was kind of the, the indication it, that his career was on a... On its downslope. On a downslope. In and today's was, dollars, it made a profit about, of about $175 million. Okay. So it's doing right. It's not that much of a turnaround. Not like we saw with other horror movies. Um, yeah. and, and that's the thing. A lot of these movies don't make much money. Possession movies. People mm-hmm. aren't going to see possession movies. They're still being made, but there's, they're more writing sequel crests than anything else. Yeah. It's not as many, oh my God hits. Yeah. Um, and the nineties, despite the low trust in the government, isn't requiring movies to show possession as an explanation for their anxiety anymore. That's the real shift. 
our anxiety escapism, our fixing everything the right way, uh, that's, forgive the pun, is the crux of it. Um, the partisanship, well thank you. Well done. The partisanship that I discussed earlier. Clinton is president at the time. Yeah. There's a lot of anxiety. What exactly is the anxiety about? There's not a malevolence in the government. No. There is a, he doesn't deserve it in the government. Yeah. That's that's the sentiment. He, now he's a usurper. Right. I um, mean we've I've, I've mentioned I've mentioned yeah. that before, but that was that yeah. was the emotional reaction from, yeah. you know, my family. Sure. Me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to cop to it. It yeah. was as a as a 17-year-old, you know, beginning my senior year of high school. Right. That was that was my uh, that that was that was, that was my your take emotional on response yeah. was you know he mm-hmm. he shouldn't be there he doesn't deserve it right the only reason he's there is because Ross fucking Perot split the party right you know and that doesn't sound too different than the echo that you hear in two thousand eight of people not my president yeah well you know no indeed sentimentally no, it's yeah. it's similar now he wasn't this existential threat to democracy that Nixon was no. He wasn't this existential threat to our lives that a doddering old Reagan was no. and and threat to democracy with all of his hinky shit. He got a blowjob. <laughs> yeah. He won an office that Republicans thought was theirs twice. Yes. Handedly the yeah. second time. Oh, yeah. Although usually the second time around, you when you win it, you win, you win it bigger. It, you win it bigger. Because um, you look presidential, because you've because, been president. Because you look, well, because yeah. the incumbent has all all kinds of advantages. Uh, which was which was also, by the way, yeah. part of the reason that, that the Republican emotional reaction to his first oh, yeah. election was what it was. Was like, well, wait, hold on, wait, our guy only got our, one term. Our guy, our, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and the the go, go ahead. Okay, I was, I, I was going to say whatever the thought I had. Yeah, came and went. Now the lack of trust that they like have that. is um, similar, I think, and this is purely speculation on my okay. part. There were polls. That went around when George W. Bush was president, asking, and forgive the term, but this was the early 2000s, do you think that George W. Bush is mentally retarded? A lot of people said yes on the left. Mm -hmm. They didn't really think he was. They really didn't. They answered yes in a poll, but they didn't really think he was. I think that's similar in the beginning, at least, to people who were asked if they thought Obama was an American citizen. They didn't really mean it. But what we pretend to be, we become. Yeah. Uh, so people on the right really thought that Clinton was immoral and that his, I mean, did they really think his blowjob blow ruined the country? No. no. But in, in polls, they were all, oh, of course, of course. Now we're finding out that they're full of shit. Um, but it becomes more political outrage theater than it is honest sentiment. Whereas people under... Nixon and Ford are like, no, that shit is bad for us. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, well, I'm saying that because I'm rooting against... You know, it's like when when Ron Artest came to the Kings, suddenly he was forgiven all his sins. Yeah. And it's well, like, why? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, he's I mean, wearing it's, purple it's now. The, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's the... It's the it's, yeah, the paradigm of, of party politics is team sports. Right. So your possession movies aren't that successful during these times. Okay, because okay, because right. the anxiety, the anxiety isn't real is anxiety. not is not is it's not, not the same level of yeah. yeah anxiety. It's not actually anxiety, right? It's, now it's it's rooted in some other emotional. I don't know. I don't know it's what, petulance. What, yeah, 
It is. That's a good, that's a good term for it. So several okay. Exorcist movies come out in the early 2000s. Clones yeah. of Exorcist movies come out. Yeah. But they disappear until the war starts going badly. Mm, now we have an existential threat to our democracy again. Okay. The genre starts getting much more original and more money gets poured into it and it, as it proves to be more profitable. There were some starts and fits and they made little money, very little money until 2005. 2005, you see Constantine step onto the field. It didn't make much money, by the way. It no. cost about $100 million to make. Worldwide, it grossed $230.8 million. Yeah. Decent return. Not exorcist return. No. Uh, but it's still doing well enough to not be prohibitive. Yeah. It stars Keanu Reeves, who is still kind of blessed by his Matrix drawing power. Yeah. Um, and it's a hell of a supporting cast, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it didn't fit the normal formula for possession movies. And that's the thing. They strayed from the formula for this. Well, they, they strayed from the formula because it's based on the Hellblazer comic series. Mm-hmm. John John Constantine is a is demon a, hunter. Is, well, is a in the comics he's a wizard. Oh, okay. He's a I mean he hunts demons, mm-hmm. but but the defining trait is he is a trench coat wearing, foul mouthed, mm-hmm. Cockney accented wizard. Yeah. Well, in this so, one, it's it's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. In an overcoat, uh, yeah. smoking a lot, and he has well, to kill demons. The overcoat is iconic. The cigarettes are iconic. Okay. Yeah. It. It. Yeah. He, he fights Satan, and he yeah. stops them from invading. Yeah. Which is kind of important, actually, if you think about it. Yeah. It's it's reflecting the time that is. He is the story is about a man protecting us from hordes of demons coming into our world. And that's not a sustainably popular narrative in 2005 because it was proven false. Ebert panned the shit out of it, by the way. Well, yeah, the parts of it I've seen mm-hmm. deserve panning. It, it was not a great movie. Yeah, neither was Exorcist. There were there were some there were some there were some moments in it mm-hmm. that were knocked out of the park. Sure, but overall, it was it was kind of a hey, we have the rights to this comic property. Let's let's do let's do something with it. You know, the other thing is though, also, you're not. I'm feeling... a fan of Hellblazer, by the way. Cool. As much as it is essentially, in many ways, a horror comic, yeah, um, I, I'm 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 a fan of it, and I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed Constantine didn't do better, and I was disappointed that Constantine wasn't done better. Yeah, that's so, fair. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind when you're making movies and you're not believing in the emotions you want to elicit, it's going to be harder to make that movie elicit those emotions. This is true. In 73, everybody's feeling that. And it comes through. In 2005... Not so much. And frankly, the idea of one man will stand... You know, we hear you, and pretty soon the people who knock down these buildings will hear you. Yeah. Turns out, we got in there for the wrong reasons. We went to Iraq for some reason. Bush got re-elected by 2005, uh, but it was obvious that the government had lied about WMDs in Iraq by this point. It, it was, and I mean, his his slogan, it wasn't a slogan, but one of the things I remember was, do you really, yeah, I've taken us the wrong way, but do you really want to change horses in the middle of this river? And I was like, well, yeah, we're drowning Which in it. Which so, yeah. FDR. Yeah. In World War Two. But FDR actually made sense because well, he's taking us the right way. Yeah. Fighting fascism and all. Uh, so it's it a great, um, mm-hmm. I want to say Pete Seeger song. Yeah. Um, 
And I can't remember the title now, but I'll, I'll okay. find it. So, anyway. So, continue. yeah. Uh, it was also pretty obvious that even though the issues started about military strength in the current war, mm-hmm. Bush preferred to campaign for the presidency based on the Vietnam War. Which is fine, except that he didn't fight in it, and the guy he was running against did. And served in Vietnam and ended up opposing that war on moral grounds, mm-hmm. having earned numerous commendations along the way for his yeah. service. This is John Kerry. Bush got out of his service and then supported the Vietnam War from America and partied the whole time as the scion of a powerful military political family. Yeah. And here's the kicker. Bush came off seeming like the hero and managed to make it seem like the opposite was true about Kerry. Yeah. Which is just, I mean, it really... Well, it's, it's, it's a remarkable act of political legitimate. Yeah. And the song, by yes. the way, Pete is uh, Waist Deep in the Big Muddy okay. by Pete Seeger, 1967. Okay. Made famous because of its censorship from the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Mm. And they don't have the lyrics here. Okay. But in 19... The, the story is that uh, in 1942... Mm-hmm. During World War II, yes, um, a platoon uh, is on a practice patrol in Louisiana. Okay, and the uh, captain leading the patrol uh, insists, uh, "I've I, I know I know what we're doing. Follow me. We just gotta we just gotta forge on ahead across the river, mm-hmm. and we'll get to the other side." And over the course of several stanzas. The sergeant tells him, you know, sir, uh, the water's too deep. We can't do it. And the captain says, no, we got to trudge on. And we were waist deep in the big muddy. And the captain said, push on. We were neck deep Hmm. in the big muddy. And the captain said, push on. Um, And then it's implied Mm -hmm. that the sergeant shoves the captain under the water and tells everybody, turn around and go back. Uh Uh-huh. You know, turns out, you know, and they found the captain's body, you know, a mile away from where we were. Turns out from the last time he'd been there, a new river joined the Big Muddy and all that. Sure. But but the overarching theme is... Fragging. <laughs> we're Well, and, and you know, we just, we got to press on. Right. You know, the captain said press on is, is right, one, of right. the, one of the refrain lines. And this whole idea about, you know, changing, changing horses in the middle of the stream. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, look at the land uh, around you and see what's yeah, up. Yeah, you know. And and the my my first exposure to that song mm-hmm. was uh, from a Scottish folk singer on a on a tribute album to Pete Seeger that had okay. been done, uh, where where that that came out during, okay, the Iraq War. Okay, and and Bush's sure Bush the Lessers. Uh, I like that. Uh, I like uh, that tenure. Uh, so. Anyway, this campaign that he ran where he managed to paint the guy who was in Vietnam as a coward and he is a hero despite getting out of Vietnam. Meanwhile, we're in another war. Yeah. That echoes Vietnam. Yeah. Like just like yeah. the amount of like meta twisting that needs to happen. Um it allowed most of America to conflate Southeast Asia 1970s with Southwest Asia 2000s. 
Well, you know, and the conflation is not entirely flawed. I mean, everybody who's spent any time in Yeah, but they came to the wrong goddamn conclusion about well, it. Well, no, I'm not saying the conclusion <laughs> That's the was part correct. that got me. Yeah. And, and everybody seemed to forget that both wars were started under false pretenses, and maybe we should stop. And push well, on, we're in the big money. Yeah, because, yeah. because you know, after the sunk costs fallacy. Yes. Too many, too many of our boys have died. Uh-huh. If we give up, we're right. we're uh, we're, we're dishonoring, dishonoring their, their memory. sacrifice. Right, dishonoring their memory. Yep. You know. Meanwhile, all of their buddies who were there with them are saying, uh, "No, it's cool." No, he he would have, yeah. He would have said, "Let's let's all go home." Hey, by the way, Pat Tillman. Yeah. So <sighs> all this shit is coming out. Yeah. It's 2005, right? The Tillman stuff comes out, I think, in the next year. But after the election, Bush is reelected legitimately this time uh trust in the government is approaching 24 percent it's dropping yeah by june of 2005 even amongst the republicans it's only 36 percent there's a growing sense that the government is going to do whatever it wants whenever it wants and our opinions as the public only nominally matter and this this sentiment seems to have been growing since the 60s yeah enter the exorcism of emily rose okay it comes in after Constantine. Constantine showed that you could make money, but not much, mm-hmm. uh, with demons in your movies. But em- the exorcism of Emily Rose is like, hey, young girl carries demons in her. Let's go back to that formula. So they do, kinda. So there's a young white girl who's possessed by a demon, and a priest has to rescue her. But here's the twist in the 2000s. It's not about the possession per se. It's about the aftermath of the possession. It's about questioning the legitimacy of what really happened. The priest who performed the exorcism to save the girl has been put on trial for her murder. Yes. Now, this is based on a true story, too. Yeah. Uh, he's a true... And, and yeah. these events yeah. actually happened. There, was, there yeah. was an exorcism. The girl did die. Yes. So uh, He's a true believer. But the woman defending him in court is not a true believer. Uh, the story is told through flashbacks. The narrator is speaking for the dead girl's experiences without actually being the dead girl. Her family seeks the help for her is convinced that she has a demon. It's entirely possible she had epilepsy and a few other things. Mm-hmm. Given that a demon isn't really a legal thing uh, and that medically she had epilepsy... Uh, she still died for reasons that were never fully explained because the doctor gets hit by a car after admitting that he believes in demons, uh, in the movie at least. Uh, the defense calls anthropologists to the stand, which I found fascinating. Uh, they never get a medical professional to actually testify. They get culturalists in there, which is an interesting development Theme. that's happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, eventually, the priest gets found guilty but let off with time served. Uh, the lawyer quits being a lawyer, uh, and it turns out the girl was actually possessed by six different demons, not just one. Um, and what a twist. Uh, and and she saw the Virgin Mary and a bunch of other catechism, cataclysm, catechism, 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 very different, different. No, but terms. I wrote them down next to each other because it's kind of true. Okay. It's a catechism, cataclysm. Okay. That's what it is. Catechistic cataclysm. That's not, that doesn't. Confuse the tongue as much. Yeah. I would have been able to say that. Yeah. Here's Roger Ebert's review. Okay. The church is curiously ambivalent about exorcism. It believes that the devil and his agents can be active in the world and has a right of exorcism, and it has exorcists. 
On the other hand, it is reluctant to certify possessions and authorize exorcisms, and it avoids publicity on the issue. It's like those supporters of intelligent design who privately believe in a literal interpretation of Genesis, but publicly distance themselves from it because that would undermine the plausibility in the wider world. The key relationship between the, is between the priest and his defense attorney. Aaron Bruner, the defense attorney, does not believe in the devils, but she believes in Father Moore, the priest, uh, and she believes that he believes in them. Quote, there are dark forces surrounding this trial, he warns her, uh, suggesting that she herself might be the target of demons. In this and other scenes, the movie is studiously neutral on the subject of the priest. So previous movies mm -hmm. took the point of view that, yeah, that's a thing. And maybe threw in a little bit about like, oh, he's got other problems too. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. the thing. This movie, as he says, is studiously neutral. The film is fascinating in the way it makes legal and ethical issues seem as suspenseful as possession and exorcism. Somehow, the movie never really takes off into the riveting fascination we expect in the opening scenes. Maybe it cannot. Maybe it is too faithful to the issues it raises to exploit them. A movie like The Exorcist is a better film because it's a more limited one, which accepts demons and exorcists lock, stock, and barrel as its starting point. Certainly, they're good showbiz. A film that keeps an open mind must necessarily lack slam-dunk conclusions. Okay. So we have a movie that knows the reality. An innocent, an innocent person was possessed by a malevolence. That was questioned by a faulty system, shown to be problematic, and then we went on about our day anyway, causing those who are invested in the system to stop believing in the system that they uphold and participate in. I'm talking about the lawyers, not the priests. Okay. Okay? So the lawyer loses her faith in the law. Okay. It's getting much more bold. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the subtext is starting to become text. Yes. Yeah. And it's not so much about evil versus good as in do we believe the shit that we're hearing? And I don't mean shit uh, as a, a pejorative. I mean, do we believe what we're hearing? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and that's the point of the movie. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's um, Levin's revenge. To the extent that Levin, with Rosemary's okay. Baby, mm -hmm. was trying to make a secular horror film, mm -hmm. this the the movie winds up with the conclusion that no, no, there were demons, there were six right. and whatever. But all of the focus is, is on secularism. is on the secular questions. You're absolutely how believable right. Is this, you know, yeah. and, and and again, as as Ebert points out, you know, the take on the priest is completely neutral. Yeah, he's not the savior figure he's right. not he's not portrayed as that he's not a reliable narrator dude, he's not a reliable nobody is a reliable narrator mm -hmm. which is also an important point based on the time period you're talking about mm -hmm. so yeah yeah uh also um the possession becomes the vessel for the moral question it's no longer about the so girl. we're getting doubly meta yeah it's the girl is not the vessel for the right. for for the possession, which is which is the MacGuffin. It is now the possession itself mm -hmm. is the MacGuffin for the. It's the launch point for the movie now. Yeah, not this girl is suffering. So we have a movie that, uh, yeah, that now is a possession movie, but it's so clearly a two thousands possession movie. 
Uh, and it made bank in its first weekend alone. It made 150% of its budget back. It cost 20 million to make. It made it ended up taking home 75 million domestically. Wow! Almost double that worldwide. People like these conundrum questions, probably because they're living through them in 2005. You've got the tiger by the tail. Yeah. If you're against the war, you aren't against the troops. You want the troops to have what they need to be safe, which means continuing the war. Yeah. Hmm. So if you're for the war, you're for the troops. But if you're for the war, do you really want it to end? Yeah. Other movies come out, cloning off of that, by the way. Um, and that's what often happens. Uh, another one hits really well in 2010, though. The Last Exorcism. The poster of which features a possessed person floating and leaning against the upper corner ceiling and the walls. I bring that up because it will come in later. Okay. I s- How to put It costs $1.8 million to make. That's it. Okay, yeah. Well, horror movies as a genre are generally inexpensive. In the opening weekend, it made $18 million. Holy crap. Domestically, it made $44 million. Worldwide, it made $67 million. Again, this is pittance in a lot of ways. But as a, as as a, a, a as return a on investment measurement, yeah. Woo! The plot is, again, a more postmodernist approach to possession, by the way. Uh, possession is still at the heart of it, and it's a girl. From a tremendously dysfunctional family, she gets possessed. Uh, there's this priest. God damn, it's weird. Uh, there's this priest who doesn't believe in exorcism, and he's taking a camera crew around to show it as a fraud. It's 2005. The surreal life has been out for a bit. Reality TV is starting to pick up. Uh, he's pontificating <laughs> uh, on the value of letting others believe in the fraud because it helps them psychosomatically. Okay. So it's that priest who goes to the to the, the Vatican and tells the Pope, "I've lost the faith," and the Pope just says, fake it. Yeah, yeah. It's for their own plebeian good. Yeah. Eventually, he has to evaluate whether or not to perform the exorcism. I guess there's this whole evaluation process you go through. He yeah. examines her. He asks her questions while she's possessed, uh, and he finds her to be a fraud. And there's a line in there about she offers him a blowing job, and he's like, "I'm sorry, no, you're not possessed. You, you don't know what you're talking about." Uh, you know, a demon would know what a good solid blowjob was. Um, <laughs> and she would know the nomenclature to be shocking, probably. Right. And yeah. she admits to being a fraud. Still, it turns out that her family is the victim of a local Protestant occultist minister. It's always the way. Uh, well, you know, and as yeah, as. As the, the, the Romanists at the table, well, duh. Yeah, I figured you. You know, that. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, can't trust those prodigies as far as you can fucking throw them. <laughs> I, I I threw that in there on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're intent on bringing a demon through the girl into this world, and they do exactly that. The priest figures it out, grabs his cross, and goes to fight the devil during their sacrifice. And then the cultists kill the camera crew that's been filming them. Wow, it's very common. It's very two thousand five. That's, that's it's also very seventies. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the same. You know, the the, the classic example that my family always talks about why why seventies movies sucked uh-huh. from my family's point of view. Sure, is my folks. I think went to a drive-in to see Count Yorga Vampire. Okay, and it was a schlocky semi like Hammer film style. You know, vampire flick, right? Young man and his girlfriend wind up trapped in a castle full of vampires, and it's a survival, it's essentially a survival horror movie, trying, mm-hmm. trying to escape from Count Yorga and his sure, demons. Sure. 
And at the very end of the movie, they, they get separated, but they, they, you know, find each other. They get back together. And as they're about to escape, the sun is coming up and the hero is about to head out into the light. He turns around to his girlfriend and she grins at him and has fangs. Right. It's, it's, that's, yeah, that's it. Well, here's why. That's right, right there. Here's why. Bad guys win in the 1970s. And guess what? <laughs> Bad, Bad guys, guys win, win in the 2000s. In 2000s. So here's a review from Sci-Fi Now. Uh, okay. Roger Ebert uh, didn't write a review on this movie. I couldn't find one on his website. He was going through throat cancer and yeah, mouth cancer had, and a yeah, lot of shit. All kind of bad stuff, yeah. So here's Sci-Fi Now. The film is at its most chilling, though, when considering the possibility for cruelty that is created when powerful emotions, grief and guilt, are coupled with devout belief. Okay. Interesting deconstruction... There are a number of well-orchestrated set pieces that would discomfort even Linda Blair from The Exorcist. And the film takes the corruption of innocence to a quite shocking conclusion. Okay. Again, I just take that lens and put it on our government at that time with the Iraq War as a backdrop and the Patriot Act. Okay. Here's one from something called The Age in Australia. It's a publication in Australia. Hardcore horror movie buffs will no doubt be annoyed at the stylistic gear shift for even the powerful or even the awful paranormal activity films, which I didn't put into this because they're not really possession. They're haunted houses. They're, yeah. Uh, the paranormal activity films remain true to their rules of engagement. They might also be getting a little tired of the possession theme. So, a uh, person gets possessed by a demon. Haven't we seen this before a lot? We had three Exorcist films, with the first still standing as an unassailable horror classic. All those Omen movies. I don't think that's possession. That's not possession. But that's the Poltergeist film. flicks. That's a different thing. Right. The Shining movie. Okay. And TV miniseries. He gets possessed. Um, yeah. And the, and the very good 2005 yeah. shocker, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. There you go. One wonders while watching the second half of this proficient crowd pleaser whether there might be something else that Satan could do with a human victim other than simply inhabiting their soul. It's been done. Couldn't he think up something else? After all, it's not as though Satan would have access to a lot of ideas given how hell is packed full of spin doctors, PR executives, and people who have worked in advertising. <laughs> a little on the nose there. So the thing about this the, nose there. the thing about this movie last exorcism is that it's in 2010 yeah obama has been elected yeah largely partly at least in no small part as an opprobrium against the bush presidency yeah partly as an expression of hope by the youth yeah he steps into a huge economic crash an unending war remember the surge of 2007 which he even admitted worked the promises he was which is again you got the tiger by the tail there yeah right the promises that he made uh, and got elected under had yet to be enacted, though several steps were being made. Yeah. Uh, however, a lot of it did go unfulfilled, uh, or they were a lot slower going than people had hoped. The Tea Party got co-opted by the Koch brothers. Yeah. The Occupy movement collapsed in on itself. Yeah. Basically attacked by the Koch brothers. And reality TV is huge, which means you don't need creativity anymore. Uh, except in editing. Oh my God, there are amazing editors. Oh, yeah. Living a life matters more when it's documented and commodified. Yes. By this point, I was on Facebook. Uh, 2010? Yeah. Yeah, I had been for a year. Mm-hmm. 
The shifts in the possession movies uh, is a, a bit of an aesthetic shift. Um, it's less about the possession itself, like I said, more about the background of the exorcism. Okay. So it's more about the performance of the thing than it is about the thing. Okay. Much uh, like social media. Exactly. Uh, much like democracy by this point. Much like opposing a war or even giving any lip service to it. Now it's just part of the background noise. Uh, it's less about uh, the exorcism than the assumptions leading into the exorcism. It's less about the possession than it about the documenting of the skepticism around it. And other movies try the same tack and they fail miserably. Or they just don't do as well. In 2012, there's another sleeper possession movie that made a mint. Okay. But it's... Oh, man. Before we get to that one, you mentioned the poster. Yes. For The Last Exorcism. It's going to come in with the last movie I look at. Okay. Okay. So in 2012, uh, The Devil Inside is made. Um, Wait. The Devil Inside. Devil Inside? Yeah. Um... That's 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 a song from the late eight from the eighties. Oh, maybe where they got the title. Uh, and I want to say it's in excess. Number oh, one, yeah. No, yeah, number, yeah, number one in excess yeah. song. Number two, um, sounds like what I've heard from friends who know more about it than I do. What a porn title would sound. Like. Nah, it's the Devil and Miss Jones. That was the porn okay. title. Yeah. Okay. But, I know plenty about but, these things, but yeah. I'm just saying, still. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, I'm sure that there's. Yeah, there, I, yeah, you know, there's yeah, like no you know, doubt. Devil Inside yeah. Volume 18. Whatever, yeah, yeah. Know. So, but anyway. So it's another skeptic visiting the Vatican this time. Okay. With a film crew. Yeah. To show that exorcisms are fraud because her mother killed three clergymen while being exorcised. Okay. Turns out, the filmmaker's mom was possessed by a multitude of demons. So we're back to Emily Rose. Right. It's not just one problem that right. you need to be afraid of. It's multiple things all at once. And they take over bunches of people and killing them off. It was very poorly reviewed. Uh, but it's not always good movies that excite the public. Especially when the public is getting less and less vulgar. Uh, and while getting more and more vulgar. Mm. Um, here's a review from Rolling Stone. The worst movie of the year, of this very new year, has a good chance to retain the title for all of 2012. Wow. Ripping off The Exorcist while adding to the, quote, found footage scam from the Paranormal Activity franchise, The Devil Inside manages not only to scrape the barrel's bottom, but to drill a hole in said bottom and funnel deeper into the scum. And yet, this bilge took in a whopping $35 million on its opening weekend, showing the public's appetite for scares. So why couldn't The Devil Inside deliver better on its promise? The simple answer is, it doesn't have to. Audiences are so primed for horror that they fall for flashy marketing. After seeing this crap movie, we're all ready to scream our rage at the screen. Wow. Now that last sentence is especially telling to me because it taps into our more base anxieties and angers while offering us very little in return. This is a movie that is very bad and it's garbage, but we want garbage because it validates uh, the cultural rage of the dominant culture because people are mad that a black guy's president. Okay. And he's probably going to get elected again in 2012 when this movie comes out against that Mormon guy who's not a real Christian because he's a Mormon. Okay. If only there was a guy, certainly never a woman, but if only there was a guy who would embody all that rage and those lazy instincts that I have. 
How long must I wait? <laughs> Is there a group that I can join that feels the same way? My kids block me on Facebook and Instagram. Where do I go next? Okay. Multa and Parvo. Yeah. <laughs> now, the problem isn't a single malevolence. It's many. It's not just one face to the horror. It's many who are chaos incarnate. The movie cost $750,000 to make. It That's made thirty. Nuts. Yeah. Made $33 million in the first weekend alone. That's a return of 44 times as much in the first weekend. Made over $100 million worldwide. Jiminy crickets. By 2012, the amount of trust in the government is now down to 15%. I'm telling you, it's partisan. Among Democrats, it's double that, which is still... Democrats are weird. They get pulled to the right all the time. Well, yeah. They try to be the reasonable person in the room instead of standing for reason. It's not just who's president, though. Uh, it's also there's this fracturing political landscape. I mean, Fox News is ascendant at yeah, this well, point. Yeah, well, Fox News is ascendant. And and, and the less see... reaction, by the way, is snark. Yeah. It really is. It's Stephen oh, Colbert. really great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and, and that that there is there is something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't get shit done. Right. If that's, if that's all you have. Yeah. That doesn't get anything done. Yeah. Um, I, I am a huge fan of Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Jon Stewart. I love good art. Uh, but yeah. with that being said, mm-hmm. um, if that's all we've got, yeah, then, then we deserve to get our asses kicked because, because it's really easy to stand back and. Yeah. Well, know, if that's fling, all we've got, then we're darts. being really lazy. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of what I mean. Now there's yeah. an increase in 2007, this number was 667. That was the election of George W. Bush. In 2009, the election of Barack Obama, this number is 932. Would you like to take a guess as to what the number is of? 932. Different hate groups in America. Oh, Lord. 667 to 932. Yeah. A large part of that can be attributed quite accurately to the gross fucking reaction of the election of an African-American male to the presidency. Oh, yeah. But it can also be attributed to a growing distrust of public institutions. And the distrust of uh, public institutions can be attributed to the growth of hate groups. That feeds it's, itself. Yeah, no, yeah, it's cyclical. In 2012, there were 1,007 hate groups. Lots of demons when you just expect mm-hmm. one. Lots of hate groups and not just single talk radio hosts. But also okay. it's, a, it's, it's uh, about skepticism of being shown, uh, being shown as unwarranted now. We, we're skeptical okay. about the skeptics. It's where you get into that meta, what's the real racism kind of bullshit, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, you're being skeptical. Well, that's just as bad as if you're not skeptical. You know, it's that false equivalency yeah. shit. And when the truth is shown, it's way, way worse. <laughs> yeah. Lots of social media, reality television connections too to this, right? By the way, the number of hate groups fell from 2012 to 2014 because under President Obama, there was a lot of pushes to... Look at hate groups yeah. because they were getting really loud. Uh, but then it started growing steadily again after 2014 because yeah. that was a midterm election year. And <laughs> guess what grew in power? Yeah. Uh, and then it spiked again in 2018 because then guess who felt legitimized uh, by a certain rage yeah. rage bag? From 2012 until 2017, most possession movies were largely knockoffs, clones, trying to make money based on the success of the predecessors. That's yeah. a normal thing that happens. Yeah. No real money makers, no real trailblazers. Yeah. Um, but then we come to the movie that made me think of this whole thesis. The whole thing. Hereditary. 
2018. Yes. It was made for $10 million. And in two months, it made $44 million domestically. Mm-hmm. It grossed $79 million worldwide. So it's an eight times investment uh, return. Yeah. Trust in the government was down to 17%. Okay. Okay. Way low. Uh-huh. Uh, here. I, I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's disturbing Whoa. as fuck. I'm 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 okay. A wimp. Okay. So yeah. no, I don't see it. I've it is read, some scary I've read, ass I've read, shit. I've read I've read synopses of it. There are scenes where I'm just like, oh my god, like um, well yeah. done. Yeah. Like that that scene will stick with me for a while, and I okay. don't get scaredy by these yeah. things, right? So there's this little girl who's a child with autism who gets possessed, and she also has allergies, and she also is not cute mm. at all. Yeah, but I remember the ads being yeah. what they were. Yeah. Uh, and the demon doesn't actually want to stay in her body. Uh, it wants her older brother. And their grandmother was a cultist who worshipped this demon or this devil or this other guy. Prince of hell. Yeah, Paimon. Yeah. Um, so she gets decapitated in a car accident. Yeah. Yeah, and that her brother causes, uh, allowing a demon to freely travel from its vessel. You have to take off the head for that to happen. Meanwhile, the family dynamic is all kinds of fucked up. The mother blames the son for her daughter's death, which is fair. Legit. But the death is so goddamn gruesome, and she finds it off camera, but we are in the house. So the brother refuses to look in the back. Like, he he sideswipes a, uh, a telephone pole, knocks her head off. Mm. Grizzly. He stops hearing her freaking out. And refuses to look in the rearview mirror because he just tore his sister's head off, swerving to miss a, an animal. He drives home, gets out, goes inside, and goes to sleep. I mean, he is tremendously traumatized by this. Yeah, obviously, right? Just like he has a reaction that is completely, completely, completely shell shocked. Yes, yeah. thoroughly understandable. Mom finds it the next morning. The blood all over the side of the car and all that with her daughters. Headless corpse in the car. You only hear her screaming. You don't follow her. Oh. It's... The further the mother descends into madness, the more awful it becomes for her son, who's really suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just marked with so much silence, this movie. I mean, it's really well done. It's just this tense silence. The father, played by Gabriel Byrne, whom I love, Mm -hmm. um, he is emotionally inept. Mm -hmm. He feels deeply... The mother is a professional miniatures maker, by the way. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that she copes is that she rebuilds the scene of her daughter being decapitated. And the dad comes in and yells at her. He's like, how do you think our son's going to feel if he ever sees you doing this? She's like, what? This is, you know. And she's, she's numb. It's all kinds of fucked up. Um, Woof. She creates, yeah, artificial representations of real things as a job, yeah. uh, including that scene. Eventually, the mother realizes that her mother, the grandmother, mm-hmm. Was involved in an awful cult, which was using her children as the vessel for the demon, uh, for the prince of demons, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, and prince of hell. Prince of hell. Um, and she seeks help from witchy people, essentially, um, including cult members that she doesn't realize are cult members. Uh-huh. So you're going to people who you well, think are allies. Well, because you can't tell aren't. you can't tell who the good Wiccans are as opposed to the evil Satanists, right. because you know, as I'm just going to say, yeah. Um, there, there are an awful lot of problems with mm-hmm. the way Catholicism is portrayed by Hollywood when they don't do their research. Mm-hmm. There's even more trouble with <laughs> the way Wicca 
and pagans get portrayed by Hollywood. Yeah. Because they never bother to do their research. No. Or almost, I mean, vanishingly rarely. Yeah. And the the uh, uh, eagerness yeah. to equate Wicca and paganism with mm-hmm. uh, Anton LaVey and Satanism, mm-hmm. when, when the two are, I'm not going to say they're diametrically opposed, but they are entirely different. Right. Um, and, and entirely unrelated to one another. Yeah. And you yet know, they're getting and, them both and, horribly wrong. Yeah, and yeah. and and so yeah, the, that 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 error on the part of the main character, yeah, is it, or on the part of the mother. I don't know who the main character can really be said to be, but that that error. It's, on it's, the, yeah, it's the mother. Okay, that error on the part of the of the protagonist mm-hmm. is um, kind of a a mirror of, yeah. of the error made by all of us mm-hmm. as a as a society. When dealing with, oh, yeah. as you said, witchy people. Well, and the movie really centers itself around the trauma that these family, this family yeah. is going through. We follow her into madness. The son we follow in his pain, in his anguish. Mm-hmm. Um, the father we follow in his suffering, mm-hmm. which is different. Um so earlier in the movie, uh, her her mom. It, the movie starts with her mom dying, the grandmother dying, yeah. um, and there's some interesting telltale conversations about you know, well, my my mom kept certain things private, uh, and uh, there's interesting like interaction with how the the child with autism reacts to a dead body and stuff like that, right? Okay. So and reacts to you know, did grandma actually love me, etc. Um, which is some very telling stuff. You got to watch it twice to really appreciate it. Okay. Um, but uh, then no, it was just, just fine. Say, it's fine. Like... Um, but uh, there's there's a great scene. Like uh, they get home uh, a couple days later, the son picks up the phone. Dad, it's the cemetery. Like what a great line. Uh, well, it turns out the mother's the grandmother, you know, who, who just got buried, her her grave had been desecrated. Okay. So uh, so. The mom f- goes back up to her attic and finds her mother's decapitated corpse. Yada, yada, yada. She eventually causes her own husband to be burned to death because she takes her... There's da- a, sp- a spell book, magic. If, if, like yeah, it's I her, said, daughter's, the- her daughter's sketchbook. Uh-huh. Her daughter sketched things. But while she was possessed by the demon... And so she goes to throw that in and it causes him to be on fire. He dies in a position looking like he's praying. Um... Yeah, uh, the mother finally gets possessed for reasons I didn't quite understand. Um, then she floats, she climbs the walls, and she's chasing after her son. Her her husband is dead. She's possessed, and this actress is haunting with how good she does it. Um, she uh, she's clearly possessed. He runs up to the attic because it's a horror movie. Um, he runs up to the attic, closes the the trap door, you know, and she floats up there. And uses her head, and she's banging it at a level, uh, at a frequency that is disturbing when it's a human head. Like, imagine like those, like like imagine a porn movie where yeah. I mean he's just, just driving it home on her, just slap, 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 slap. Uh-huh. That's her head on the attic door. It's the most disturbing scene of the whole movie until three minutes later. Um, I just want to, yeah, want to point out for the for the benefit that, of that our you audience, don't like this <laughs> that, that 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 
you all listening to this cannot see the expression on my face as Damien is describing this. Yeah. Just imagining this scene may wind up giving me trouble after I get home tonight getting to sleep because holy crap. How, how the, a, the, the look the look of yeah. oh, God oh God yeah is really hard hard to to describe. Have a bottle wow. of scotch. See if that I, helps. You know, we're on the whole thirty diet. I can't Oh gotcha. Damn it. <laughs> I'm gonna you. need to. Uh so <laughs> All right. She bangs her head on the attic door, um, chasing her son, which is the one that the demon always wanted, wanted in the first the place. place. Um, at one point, it mildly possessed him. He slaps his head on the desk and bleeds his face it's after his. Yeah, that back. was in the ads. It's yeah, that, it's him, wacky. Him, yeah, cracking his head on the she desk, never quite got himself and a drooling. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Um, so he ends up in the attic uh, and sees a bunch of naked cult members, like you do. Uh, and suddenly his mom floats into the attic. I don't quite know how she got there. This part's disturbing, more so than the head banging. She's got a piano wire wrapped around her head. Zit zoo, zit zoo, zit zoo, with this haunting ass smile on her face until her head falls off. Blah! Then he jumps out the window, dies. Yeah. And then the demon that was in her gets out because the head is off yeah. and possesses him. He reanimates, climbs up into a treehouse, which was in the movie earlier. Yeah. And the cultists do their cult thing with these two headless corpses in the treehouse and his reanimated body. Everyone wins. That's the end of the movie. Well, you know, except humanity because a prince of hell has now been unleashed amongst us. Nitpick, nitpick, nitpick. Nitpick, really. nitpick, yes. nitpick, nitpick. Potato, potato. Yeah, no, so, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Go yeah. to church, holy water, yeah. broadsword. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Nit- like, no, no, no. Yeah. So here's the thing. We, we, when the cultists win, we all lose. Right. You know. So the movie wasn't popular like the others. It was successful financially. Yeah. yeah. And the critics loved it. Here's Matt Zoller. Uh, Matt Zoller Zietz sites yeah. he writes on Roger Ebert's website yeah it's a long review but the film owes just as much to the intense family psychodramas of Mar- Mike Lee and John Cassavetes which place strong-willed but deeply damaged people in close proximity and look on as they suffer barely concealed torment from sitting in on their rage then they finally then finally lash out in displays of emotional violence that are as intense in their own way as the bloodletting and surrealism. Unspeakable things happen to the family throughout. Every time they experience new trauma, it cracks their controlling facades a bit more, exposes emotional fissures in the family as a whole, and makes you wonder if perhaps the social institutions surrounding us and the intricate practices of language, science, and literature aren't just elaborate means of holding back fear of death and random misfortune. Aster and the cast, yeah? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Heavy. Aster and the cast make you care about these disturbed people and fear what they might do to one another, themselves, and strangers. When something awful invariably does happen, you feel sadness as well as shock because now it's going to be even harder for the Grams, that's the family in the movie, to climb out of the pit of sadness that the grandmother's death has cast them into and then finally address the past traumas that they've been ignoring or covering up. Aster keeps intimating that something horrible could occur at any moment, 
Notice how every sharp object used for any reason gets its own ominous close-up. But when something horrible does happen, it's usually far worse than whatever you had envisioned. Not just because of the incidents themselves, but because Hereditary is a rare horror movie that pays proper real-world attention to how individuals deal with trauma. I'm just going to break away for a second. Trauma has been mentioned a couple times here. Yeah. This is 2018. Where the, awareness of trauma... The the ever-presence of trauma. Yeah. And, and, you know, now going into... I don't even know off the top of my head... 15 years mm-hmm. of of a war with PTSD being something that we all just now know about. Yeah. Just speaking of trauma, you know. We see the Grams lying in bed, depressed to the point of paralysis. We see them nipping and snapping at each other, hiding inside themselves, hurting themselves and others. Doesn't this sound like Facebook snark? A lot. There are scenes in this film that brought me to the edge of tears because how brutally... Uh, people speak to each other, saying profoundly hurtful things that are as petty and self-serving as they are true. Whoa. Inflicting damage that can never be undone, all because they're in such pain that they need to see someone else hurting even worse. Huh. The movie's final act raises questions about the verifiable reality of anything you've just seen, but it seems appropriate considering all the attention that the script paid to the idea of inexplicable. Of the inexplicable. Mm-hmm. Just point out how many times have we said it can't get worse and then the next day's, next day's news cycle. Mm-hmm. Here's Anthony Lane of The New Yorker. Most of the folks in the film, which is written and directed by Ari Aster, don't quite know what to believe or how much they should trust their eyes and ears. The children's mother, Annie, played by Toni Collette, oh my God, she's amazing, can't tell if her own emotions are correct. Her mother just passed away. She can't tell if her own emotions are correct. Yeah. She's gaslit. Uh, And uh, her mother's just passed away, and Annie is bemused or half ashamed at feeling insufficiently sad. But then, as she admits at the funeral, her mother was a secretive person possessed of private rituals. The phrase echoes (laughs) around... The phrase... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On the nose. Yeah. It's just the noses across the room from the the rest of the body. body. Uh, That phrase echoes around the story like a whisper in a cave. Scene after scene bears the hermetic rigor of a rite, one that outsiders or even other members of the household may struggle to understand. Here's the thing, though. Hereditary is far more upsetting than it is frightening, and I would hesitate to recommend it to the readily traumatized. The movie haunts us when there isn't, when it isn't, even when it isn't making us jump. So intently are the characters bedeviled by the specters of their past. Quote, I'm not to be blamed, Annie says in therapy, as she describes her mother's legacy, before adding in despair, I am blamed. Wow. It has the nerve to suggest that the social unit is, by definition, self-menacing, and that the home is no longer a sanctuary, but a crumbling fortress. Under siege from within. That is why there are no doctors in Astor's film, and no detectives either, urgently, though both are required. Nor does a man of God arrive as he does in The Exorcist to lay the anguish to rest. Nothing, in short, can help Annie, Steve, and the kids. And they sure can't help themselves, stationed as they are inside their delicate doll's house of a world. There's no family curse in this remarkable movie. The family is the curse. Woof. Now that 
sound is because that was it's tied to Pyman. There's a certain sound of madness that happens, mm. and the uh, the daughter made that sound regularly. Was, mm. I thought it was a soothing sound. No, it's haunting as fuck in the movie. So, here's where it gets sad. Charlottesville was in August of 2017. Mm. This movie came out in January of 2018. Got good reviews and was released in the U.S. in June of the same year. Okay. Fun little story. Uh, its trailer <laughs> released during a showing of Peter Rabbit. Oh, yeah. I which heard about this. understandably upsetting. Yeah. It was the theater in Australia. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. They, they, yeah. It was not good. Yeah, no, they they mixed up mixed up the reels and and thoroughly <laughs> thoroughly screwed up yeah. a, a theater full of Kids. five and six year olds. Yeah. Now I bring up Charlottesville because prior to Charlottesville, we really didn't know how widespread white supremacy was unless we listened to our friends who were marginalized, and most of us didn't. Yes, it was impossible to not know after that. Concentration camps are currently operating in this country on the same grounds that were used for internment camps for Japanese Americans and Japanese expats in America during World War II. It's becoming impossible to ignore. Yeah. Currently, 24 people have died in custody. No trial, no due process, just rounded up, and our Supreme Court said it's okay. Again. Our current president has been floating the weather balloons, talking about going beyond his term, and people are refusing to confront that, too. Here's Trump from March of 2018, talking about uh, president of China. Oh, Xi Jinping. Yeah. He's now president for life. President for life. No, he's great. And look, he was able to do that. I think it's great. Maybe we'll have to give that a shot someday. Here he is in April of 2018. We're cutting record numbers of regulations. We've cut more regulations in a year and a quarter than any administration, whether it's four years, eight years, or in one case, 16 years. Should we go back to 16 years? Should we do that? Congressman, can we do that? Six. FDR. Prior to I'm trying to remember whether he was, yeah, but I'm trying to remember whether he was actually in. He was for elected full, for four. He was elected. He to, served okay. for just over 12. Okay. Trump from the same month when he got called on the carpet for this. You know, the last time I jokingly said that the papers uh, start saying he's got despotic tendencies. No, I'm not looking to do it. Go on for 16 years. Unless you want to do it. That's okay. Uh Uh-huh. Trump from the spring of 2019. This, he's holding a trophy, given to him by the Wounded Warriors Organization. Now, the Wounded Warriors Organization has to do with traumatic brain injury there's been some problems dealing with this organization oh yeah so of course they're tied to trump but ostensibly they're there to address the trauma of the soldiers that we keep sending into a meat grinder uh this will find a permanent place at least for six years in the oval office is that okay i was going to joke general and say at least for 10 or 14 years but we would cause bedlam if i said that so we'll say six There's an opposition party too impotent to stop this. Just like the father in the movie. Yeah. The Democratic Party recently offered a downloaded wallpaper with Trump's face on it saying, bye, boy. The official Democrat Party, they're like, hey, you could get this official wallpaper. And it's got his face and it says, bye, boy, on the top of it. That's how they're fighting fascism. 
Like, that's going to do it. Like, laughing at creeping fascism is going to defeat creeping fascism. Like, it's like they listen to Mel Brooks about, yeah, I got to mock yeah. this guy, without realizing that he was trained to use a rifle, too. Yeah. They fumbled big time, time and again. DeVos, Carson, Kavanaugh. Their impotence in the face of refusing to even hold a hearing for Merrick Garland. Mm-hmm. On and on. That's the dad. Okay. We're the son. Trump is the mother having been possessed. Reagan. Okay. Reagan. Interesting. Interesting parallel. Mm-hmm. All right. Reagan is finally right. Government is no longer the solution to the problem. <laughs> Government, Government is, is the, the problem. problem. The father who's supposed to protect us is incapable. The mother who's supposed to protect us is to be blamed for her complicity in a system that is choking us to death until our head falls off. Do you remember what the most shocking number of people voting for Trump was? White women. Yeah. The son and his mother had no idea how far reaching this cult of Paimon was, how far it stretched into their home and family, and then it destroyed them all. So... Possession movies have become a cinematic tradition, a cinematic reaction to when you have a fissure between the expected stewardship of your leaders and their actions. Okay. As those fissures grow, these movies... Possession movies become a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Have more success. All right. So. It's it's a very clear correlation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, grim, deeply, yeah, deeply, sorry. yeah, well, I think that's why I was initially resistant to it when I started writing it up. Yeah. Because I don't like writing sad shit. Well, yeah, <laughs> but so, so the question is, did, did the anger then propel you? I think it was. The power of rage compels you. Yeah, no the kidding. The power of rage compels you. It might have been. It might have been. It might have just been. It started stacking on itself, and uh, mm. I was just. I was compelled. I really was compelled yeah. to keep going. Well, yeah, and possessed, and, if you will, if you will. Well, and and you know, I, I think you you make an important point. You made an important point in the first episode about the role of women mm-hmm. in in the narrative, mm-hmm. and with your masters being women's what, history, what it was, yeah, yeah what it is. That you know it makes sense there. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that in the in the very last example, mm-hmm. or in in a couple of it, in the last few examples, the the role of women in the story shifts very much so to the extent that it does. There's a lot more agency, and yet at the same time, harm comes with agency. Sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, agency comes with culpability and responsibility. Responsibility. And I find it in, I find it really interesting that the last film, mm-hmm. Hereditary, yeah, um, the ultimate target is a male figure, a young male figure, a young male mm-hmm. figure, not an entirely innocent virginal male figure. No, because part of the whole reason the little the little sister is in the car, if I remember the synopsis I read correctly. Yeah. Little sister's in the car because he headed out to a party, but he was supposed to be looking after his sister. He, he took her along with him. Right. And she, and she ate something out. with walnuts. Oh, and, and she was allergic. in anaphylaxis. Okay. So he's driving her down a country road to get to... And by the way, he left her alone so he could go smoke some pot. 
Um, but then he's driving her down a country road to get her to a hospital. She can't breathe, so she's leaning her head out the window to get some cool air in her. Mm-hmm. That's and when, that's when that yeah. happens. Um, and so there's there's also a metaphor for the mm-hmm. complicity of the ultimate victim of the possession. Yeah. In all of it. Yeah. That's true. You know, nobody nobody gets away as the as the you know virginal got to be protected. Not anymore. Figure. Nope. We're all in this. We're, together. we're all yeah. well, well. We're all we're all. Not only are we all in this together. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one thing to say that we're all in this together. It's another thing to say that hey, we're all responsible. And we're all traumatized. And we're all and we're all yeah. Everybody involved yep. is traumatized. Everybody from from you know. Everybody in the Castro district this month flying rainbow flags to mm-hmm. everybody with red MAGA trucker hats. Mm-hmm. We're all of us suffering for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. We're all suffering, and we all have a vision in our heads of right ourselves. We all identify with the father mm-hmm. as as being suffering figures. Yes. We all identify with the mother as I am not to blame. I am blamed. Mm-hmm. I think um, what what you pointed out about you know white women and white people voting for Trump. Yeah. In the context of of the symbolism there, I think is I think is notable. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, um, because I mean what, the theme that you get out of that over and over and over again is they feel aggrieved. Yeah. For, you know, everybody blames us for being the source of all the problems in the world. And, you know, we're not not responsible. And, and, and instead of actually listening to what's being said, it's just you go it's, straight well, to it's, that. Well, it's yeah. knee-jerk, it's, it's yeah. knee-jerk defensiveness, which, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's a human reaction. It but, is. But, you know, as a society, that's not the way you solve things. No. Um, also, so. it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction, but... Um, I don't know that it's necessarily warranted to jerk that knee. You know, it's it's a it's a brit- brittleness, a fragility oh, that well, leads to that. Yeah, reaction. well, yeah, it, it's a it's a luxury that other groups don't have. Definitely, that son well, yeah. didn't really. And there's, I mean, there are such incredibly tense discussions where the dad is trying to moderate between the mom. She finally blows up at her son, and she goes way overboard. And you get why she does, and she's not wrong, but she's so wrong. And the son is like, you know, basically, how dare you put that on me? Like, hey, I'm suffering here too. Like, <laughs> I yeah. killed my sister. Yeah. And she can't let up. And at the same time, she's finally letting out. And the dad is like, whoa, you can't do that to him. And and you can't talk to her. And it's just, I mean, it's so... And the sister should be sitting there, and she's not. I mean, it's just so sad. Ugh. It's such a traumatic movie. So, so that's what possession movies are now. Yeah. Because that's overt, what we are now. Overt trauma. That's that's what we are now. Yeah. And, and Paimon wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, be- because we don't act healthily. We, yeah, yeah, we don't. We, we don't isolate and we get brittle. Yeah, we isolate, we get brittle, and we. I'm, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. we don't seek help. Yeah, because again, in a huge departure from the formula, there mm-hmm. is no priest. There is no. 
neighbor going to the library. Right. There, there is no, you know, going to the witchy neighbors who turn out to be, you know, right. part of the cult. There is just, you know, us wallowing mm-hmm. on our Facebook pages. Yeah. Over how angry we are and, and you know, and, mm-hmm. and nothing and nothing getting done. Right. Like they don't, n- nobody, nobody in that story takes any kind of action. Right. To, to try to fix the, the son doesn't say, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to get myself emancipated. I'm moving out of here. Right. I got, I got to find my own she way. She goes to therapy and she also joins a few grief groups. Okay. But those grief groups were actually the, the cult people. She just didn't know it. So okay. the, the attempts at helping herself. Yeah. And she, by the way, lies to her husband about going. So she's like, I'm going to go see a movie. And she takes herself to a grief processing group. But they're the cultists. And so there's a layer of like, even when we reach out to get the help that we need, we don't do it in a healthy way. And we inevitably harm ourselves farther. Okay. So, yeah. And we can't believe the people that we're going to to get the help. Yeah. Ultimately, they're not to be trusted. Yeah. Fox. Can't we have we have no way of we have no way of knowing they're what secretly the cultists. Is. Yeah. Yep. Boy. So well, this was a delightful episode. <laughs> You're welcome. Everyone. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. So uh, much for go that. go. I recommend strongly instead of a book. I'm not yeah. going to recommend this time. I'm going to recommend you go eat a half a gallon of ice cream. <laughs> because that is a healthy coping mechanism. It, it is. Right uh, there. <laughs> you know, if nothing else, it'll buy you a couple hours of reflection time on the toilet the next day. Uh, but in the meantime, you'll at least get some joy in your it, life. It out of life. Yes. yes. Well, so that's that's my recommendation for, okay. for this podcast. Right. How about you? Yeah. Um, I think I think uh <laughs> I'm I'm torn about what direction I want to go with, with my my advice. Mm-hmm. Um I am I'm going to remind our audience that uh, the Second Amendment applies to all citizens equally uh, across the political uh, spectrum, also the racial and sexual orientation spectrum, um, for no reason at all. I'm okay. just going to point that out. Um, <laughs> you know, fair. That doesn't have anything to do with the shape of the universe right now. But um, you know, uh, I, I will say that um, if if you choose to go target shooting, it can be therapeutic to put holes in paper. Mm-hmm. Um, Find your local John Brown Society. Yeah, uh, John Brown Society Redneck uh, Revolt. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm I'm going to cope by uh, spending some time snuggling my little boy, and I'm going to also go to sword practice um, because again, holy water and a broadsword. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Um, and swords don't run out of ammo. Swords do not, in fact, run out of ammo. Um, and in another episode, we can actually uh, talk about uh, issues within uh, historic European martial arts <laughs> related to what we're talking about uh, in our in our grim dark uh, right now. Mm. Um, but what I, I would yeah. I would ask at this point now what is what is your what are, what is your your parting parting thought? Maybe not your parting advice because mm-hmm. you know. I'd, I'd, I'd get behind the ice cream idea right. again were I not on Whole30. Sure. But what 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 is your parting thought? Oh, Lord. Um, I think the thing that's missing from a lot of these possessions movies is agency. 
I mean, by definition, if you get possessed, you're not your own agent. I think that the responsibility of existential dread Mm -hmm. is often lost in the feeling of existential dread. Okay. I think the grim, or no, the stern optimism of existential dread Mm -hmm. needs to be relived. Um, We still are the generation that we've been waiting for. Yeah. We'd better do something about it before it's too late. Yeah. That would be about it. Okay. So, for uh, Geek History of Time, I'm very depressed, Damien Harmony. And I'm a uh, stoically determined Ed Blaylock. Uh, And until next time, uh, clutch your rosary tightly and, uh, yeah, just, just keep your eyes open for, you know, pigs with red eyes.